So one of the things that I continue to see from very successful leaders isn't just having a vision, but an idealistic vision as Coach Dave Brandt shared with us in episode 210. His vision at Messiah College was to be the best soccer team to play for in the country. Now, way back in episode 157 with Captain Mike Abershoff, he talked about when he took over the USS Benfold that they were going to be the best damn ship in the Navy. Now, many would have called that an idealistic vision, being that when he took over, they were the worst ship in the Navy. John Wooden's vision at UCLA was a peace of mind from knowing you had done your best to become the best that you are capable of becoming. Pete Carroll's vision at the Seahawks is to do things better than they have ever done before, right? It's so important that we have a vision. Well, in the second part of our conversation with today's guest, Andre Pretorius, he shares his vision with us to be the best part of their day. When his players go home from a training or a match, that's what he wants them to think and to feel. It's simple, but it's inspiring. And I have to say, I absolutely love it. In this episode, we're going to unpack just how he is making that vision a reality for everyone, players and coaches in his program. Welcome back to the Coaching Culture Podcast with myself, JP Nurbin, and my co-host and friend, Nate Sanderson. We try our best to give you practical tools and methods to build your culture in 30 minutes or less. The podcast is brought to you by TOC Culture Consulting. I kind of slipped that in last episode, the, you know, the name change. Yes, Thrive On Challenge is now TOC uh, Culture Consulting. I was inspired by Facebook changing their name to Meta. That's just a joke. Uh, the name change is the result of actually some clarity I've gained over the last year and, and all the growth that we've experienced. I, I honestly feel for the first time, I know what I'm we're trying to build here. I've got clarity in TOC's mission and vision. We want to provide practical resources, personal mentorship, and a supportive community to leaders all over the world to help them raise standards and strengthen connections within their team's culture. Maybe in a later episode, we'll unpack all this change uh, at TOC some more. But for now, I'll stop rambling here and we'll get right into the second half of our conversation with Andre Pretorius. Well, I think we want to kind of transition a little bit here to, to talking a little bit more about culture and some of the intentional things that you've done. And, and before we get in maybe to some, some of the nuts and bolts, you know, again, I know we keep asking you kind of questions about perception about, you know, how your career as a player and then as a young coach and now as a, a more experienced veteran, but has your, has your perception or your take on culture changed, you know, over the course of kind of your experience in rugby and I would assume so, how so? Yeah, so much. It's, uh, and I think we've, We've all been in teams where coaches want you to be work as one and don't take shortcuts and you know care for each other. But it's it's kind of like names on a board, words on a board. They were, you know, we've ticked that box. This is where we want to go. And then if I have to reflect and, and look back onto into teams where that was actually good without the coach being really intentional, it was the teams who were the best leaders. That we that could cultivate that culture without the, the coach actually driving it. So what I tried to do is is really being intentional with cultivating a culture of of that sort, and you know, getting the right guys in the right positions to help me drive that. So let's just dive into some specifics when it comes to your team's culture. What are 
maybe one or two things that you do within the program and you're like, man, that really moved the needle for us. Like we did something here with a team meeting or it's just the way we approach training differently. I'm just kind of curious there. I think making, getting rid of our long list of the code of conduct was definitely one of the things where we, we put the responsibility more onto the players and we've got, we've got two rules and, you know, there's no, there's no money value to you breaking these rules, but it's, it's, it's not, it's not something where if your cell phone rings or you're late or whatever the case may be, we, we just need you to be, be a great teammate and do the right thing. So those are two rules. And the other, the other things we, we, we don't let slide because if you, if you leave it, you accept it and you, you promote it. So we, when you are like, it's called the common sense consequence. And from there, you know, we, we roll the dice. I've got one chance to get, get out of jail free, but the other five numbers are, are allocated to some form of fitness discipline where they, and it's, it's in the gym. So it's, it's quite fun. Everybody's wishing the guy throws a six. He throws a three, he has to get in the ice board for five minutes up to his neck and everybody's standing around. So there's a lot of connection within that again. So we, we use that, we'd rather use that to promote the connection and, and the team building and the cohesion than to alienate one guy and make him run or make the team run for everybody. So, and, and that's also some of the things you asked, uh, that's something that, that I used to do in that first year and a half is everybody get on the line and, you know, now you're going to, now I'm going to teach you a lesson. I love that. And, and, you know, I think you're making it it's something that honestly brings people together and it's something fun rolling the dice, right? I, I think that's fantastic. Is there something uh, that you've done, say, off the pitch, off the field in the last you know, few years that you, you know, would recommend to coaches when it comes to that, that team culture? I think we, we've got a couple of things. But the one thing that's really, and I might, be, I might sound a bit selfish here, but the one thing that's really assisted me, and I mean, obviously, if you listen to this podcast, you hear this, this phrase quite a lot, was, was the installment of, of a captain's council. So teams normally had have leadership groups but again it's ticking boxes you know we've got a leadership group but they don't really have a say and we start off the season like like now we start with mental groups so we we've got certain guys that we put in the in the um as mentees so i don't know someone that's in the group for the first time he's a youngster some guys we know he's been in the system but you know, he has discipline issues or someone that's just not reaching his potential. And we might just pair him up with someone who's really diligent, works hard, very professional. And so we have mentor groups before we have captain's council. And during this time, these mentors have got a, have got a list of commitments that they make to become a mentor. They've got to check in on the guys. They've got to make sure because we've got a calorie squad that's training at five in the morning. Guys are were a bit heavy at this stage of the season or, you know, but the fitness, the aerobic capacity is not where it should be. So they do calorie squat five o'clock in the morning. They phone them at half past four and make sure that, are you awake? Make sure that you're not late. So, and that to me took away our discipline issues. It just, it totally eradicated them. So 
when we small things like having to hand in documents or answering certain certain questions on on the WhatsApp groups or if it's not done, the mentor would check in with him. No coach speaks to that player. It only gets escalated once it becomes a problem. And that, to me, made a big difference. And obviously, your, your captain's counsel gets chosen from the mentors, so there's continuity. But during the season, the mentors keep going on and, and connecting with their players. I love how you've kind of applied that at different levels you know, to create different connection points with your players. Yeah. And I, I want to circle back because I think this is connected to what you're, you're talking about here. I think so many times coaches hope that they have great culture because they inherit good leaders. You know, they, they have a good senior class or they have a terrible senior class and they can't wait for them to graduate so they can have a better senior class next year, you know, and hope to have a better culture. And it's one thing to say, we're going to make guys mentors and we're going to put people on a captain's council. It's another thing to develop those people as leaders. So how do you approach that? You know, not just choosing leaders and empowering them, but helping them to grow into those responsibilities to be better servants of the team. I think we're quite lucky with the, with the type of players or type of people we, we get in our system. It's, it's not the cream of the crop, or well, mostly not the cream of the crop when it comes to your first years coming in. So but we get so many character people into the system. And when, you, when we do allocate the mentors and the off-field, most of them will, will connect at the right level. What I have found is that when we're on, when we're on field, is small things like tone of voice, uh, timing of feedback, you know, stuff like that. That's where they really, they really need the, you know, the development and the, just the self-awareness. You know, you, one of the coaches has just spoken quite loudly to one of the players and you've just walked up to him and say, listen, A, B, and C, you can't do that. It's, it's not the right time. That's, that's when that guy just needs to know that don't worry, I'll help you fix it the next time. Or, you know, so I think this helping them develop the self-awareness, uh, tone of voice is, is something that's, that's really, that I've found is something that most of our leaders, when we start with the leadership development, is something that they need to work on. Timing of feedback in, in when, they, when they talk to that player or when they want to give, give the feedback. Uh, sometimes the timing is just of such a such a nature that it just compounds the problem and that you lose that player for the training. And I remember we talked just going into last year's provincial semifinal. I think you, you were struggling with on the field communication and that was something that you intentionally started practicing before you went into that provincial semifinal and you ended up winning the final, right? Yeah, we did. Uh, again, thanks to you, we I, I got a couple of suggestions and it was difficult not to implement all of them, but I don't think it was the right time of the season to bombard them with all these, these ideas. So we took a couple of them and, and trying to get feedback and trying to the, the, using the earned principle. And that seemed to work really well. It seemed to set the standards from, from the word go, especially when we did one-on-one uh, -on -one feedback uh, across the circle. So like you said, we, we allocated each player to each other and after the session that player would then give feedback on on his training and it, it was quite strange but 
it's something that I, I expected to happen, but not not to the extent that it did. But it just lifted the standard of training, and you know, and, and the guys afterwards they were they were keen. The guys were walking across to the to the other player, even though he wasn't selected to give his feedback in the circle, and just asked him, "Listen, what did you think? Uh, you were allocated to me, so can you tell me what what you saw?" And I think that that made a huge difference, especially in semi-final and final week. Well, now you got me thinking because I've had so many conversations uh, over the last couple of months um, since Doug Lamont's new book, uh, the, the Teacher's Guide to Coaching or the Coach's Guide to Teaching. I can remember, remember what the title is, um, but he's got a whole chapter in there on the art of feedback. And you keep mentioning that phrase, you know, the, the timing of feedback. And I wonder if you could explain kind of from your perception, you know, as a coach, but maybe also in terms of what you expect from your players, when feedback is done right, what does it look like? And when it's done wrong, what does it look like? Right. I think we just, as coaches, we, we shouldn't put ourselves above the law. So when, when things go wrong and you've had two players talking to one player, for you to just intervene and give the exact same message, but now from the coach is just going to compound the problem. Uh, I feel the the personal touch is, is great, especially on field. And again, depends on where the player is within his within his uh, life cycle, if you want to call it that. So if it's, we've got a couple of young players at the moment now. And the first session, our defense coach probably said his name about 60 times. So this kid's still learning the game. And, he, and although the coach was right, we had to have a chat afterwards and say, listen, you know, we can either call his name six times or we can ensure that he gets the message, but maybe just not in front of everybody. Um, so, so that's the one thing. I think timing, um, the way it's done, tone of voice, understand and assist. So if you, if you had to, you know, understand why he's making the mistake, you might be able to assist him. And then, you know, with your older players, I think it's more just, Sometimes it's just a name and a nod and he'll nod and you'll know you got the message. He knows exactly what he did wrong. So again, adapting to every single player and, and knowing how to, to get the message across without him feeling, you know, he's been, he's been outed uh, rather than being, than being assisted after finding out why. I think that's um, incredibly good advice. I, I'm curious, you know, as you've been going on this journey, as a coach, um, you know, your players have obviously embraced it, you know, from what it sounds like. I'm curious how you've managed your staff and, and how you've tried to include them within this process, this journey and giving them a voice. I'm just, yeah, I'm just kind of curious, you know, when it comes to staff, uh, what's your approach been with that? Debbie, that's the one part where I think my development still, you know, I, I need to, I need to focus and and get more intentional with the development of that because I've got such a a need to to assist, you know, without sounding like I know everything, but I'm in a position to to assist the coaches that I work with, and, and I'd like to do that. So, firstly, I, I think I need to be more focused on looking at ways to assist. The the one thing that I that I do and I did it, I don't, I don't think it was a personality test. It was some form of leadership test. And it, it said I was, I was too inclusive. And it kind of bothered me because I always want my coaching staff to, to know that they, they have a voice and I will listen. 
but at the end of the day, it's it's my responsibility to ensure that, or, or to to take us into a direction. It might be the wrong one, but everybody gets a say and everybody's included within the, the conversation. And in servant leadership, they they call it the decision making rule, where the the group decides who makes the final call. And I, I had a chat with them because as a head coach. Normally, it does fall on your head. It, it says, listen, you are responsible, so you make the final call. And we actually had a chat about that and said, listen, we are going to have a disagree and commit uh, understanding where everybody gets to say what they think and feel, and the decision will lie with me. If it's everybody agrees, obviously, that's the way we go. And if, if one or two don't agree, but that's the decision that's been made. We you disagree, but then we commit and we make we make it work as best we can. So I think including them in uh, in everything that we do decision making wise has been has been a real big help. They they've had a voice and and they've used it. And I'm lucky that I've I've got coaches that have, are quite experienced. Um, the one coach is I think he's about ten years older than me. He's been he's been coaching for quite a while. My defense coach is, from all of us, he's the most experienced varsity cup coach, our defense coach. So I get him to play devil's advocate quite a lot. I, I give a strategic plan and I'll ask him, listen, I need you to, to poke holes. And he he kind of likes that. Sometimes, to me, it looks like he likes it too much. Uh, but that it makes a big difference for me that I can trust him that much and say, listen, you know, get to the bottom of what's wrong with this. And then the the, the forwards coach is. You know, as a young coach, you kind of sometimes want to be a bit of a maverick, try different things, be innovative. And never has he ever spoken down to me or said, listen, this is a bullshit idea. This is not going to work. He'd, he'd, he'd get me to think about it. And, you know, just that, that little bit of, bit of experience on his side and the way he approaches me gets me to phone him at 10 at night and say, listen, I'm not going to play this player. I agree with you we will stick with this one or we are going to play with this tactic instead of that one um, and sometimes sometimes it doesn't happen but at least I've got coaches around me that 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 want to look after you well a couple things on on that answer I think one you know having the conversation with your assistants and doing role definition beyond responsibilities you know having the forwards or the defense or whatever it might be um, so few staffs do that, you know, where they then lay out, this is the role of the head coach and here's how we're going to, you know, approach decisions. And I guess I'm curious, you know, one of the things that we find, and, and I don't know if this is more true at lower levels, you know, with high school and college coaches, I, I don't know, but I think that there, there has to be some work done by the head coach to get to a place where they welcome feedback, you know, or they welcome a coach poking holes in their strategies to make them better. And, has that has that been a process of growth for you, or how how have you ended up in a place where you're welcoming that you know from your staff? That's, I think again it, it, that uh, I think it's Daniel Cole's book with the Navy Seals where I screwed that up. That's that's pretty much one of the you know being being brutally honest and saying, "Listen, boys, that this is my fault. This is absolutely my fault," and. That gives them the opportunity to know that they they we can all make mistakes like that, and if if the head coach can 
can be part of of that honesty group, I can definitely be part of that. And for me to take feedback in, I think again, it's it's one of those things. I'm really afraid of what I don't know, and I might miss something. And if you have coaches on your staff like we do, even our SNC coach is a he's he's kind of my my culture coach, if I can say, the sounding board. So you, if if my tone of voice with the other coaches or the players turns into something that I might regret later, we have a chat and he's got complete carte blanche to tell me, listen, you could have handled that better. Um, we have another another guy who's actually really, he's also a big fan of your podcast, Gary Creek. He's a very young SNC coach, fan of coaching. And uh, I got him into the Leopards. But just as a guy, he sat in every meeting and afterwards we spoke about, you know, was that meeting constructive? Because meetings tend to sometimes run for hours and we get nothing constructive out of it. Um, is the planning right? Is there something wrong that you can see with handling? So he's also poking holes as, as far as he goes. And that type of people, they're priceless in a, in a system like this. And, you know, they, it's people that you trust and, and people that want to see you do well. I'm curious if you, do you have the conversation with your assistants about how you like to receive feedback? You know, we, we talked a lot about player to player, tone of voice being important, personal connection being important. Are those things that you value on your staff and, and expect as well? Do assistants, you know, know when their opportunities are to speak up and other opportunities where maybe they don't need to speak up or they need to do it in a different way? Is that a conversation you've had at the staff level as well? Yeah, very much so. But also because, you know, I know some of them for, for a long time, there's, there's that way with which you approach certain things. And we, I think we, we're quite good with that, that type of feedback. Some feedback doesn't need to be given within the group. Uh, other feedback we need to, we need to sort out with, within our, our management meeting. So the way we give feedback definitely does not uh, just account for when you're talking to the, the players, I think within our staff, because the, the other thing I don't want is my defense coach being devil's advocate like I'm, I'm trying to get him to be and I snap at him and, and because the next time, the only thing that's going to happen, I'm not going to get the, the value that, is, that he has to offer. I absolutely love that. And, you know, one of the things that uh, you've shared with me just prior to us recording this podcast was just, you know, how you've had, you've been very fortunate to have some good mentors in your life. And I was just kind of curious, you know, who are those people that have been pouring into you uh, on your coaching journey here that, uh, you know, you feel like really are important to, to point out and to share? That name is going to come up again. Eugene Yerloff, the coach that, that gave me my opportunities. Uh, and sometimes I feel bad because you, you kind of only get hold of him when, when things are going badly. Um, and then, but he, he'll never say something. He knows, he knows what it's about. He's part of his company. There's a guy called Hank van der Merwe. He's, he's been terrific with the way that he's gone about grooming me in a, in a leadership way and setting me on this, on this, on this path and showing certain obstacles before they even, they even get to you. And then guys that obviously you don't get to know that well, but um, I worked with Eddie Jones um, and there was a coach at the university. Now he's coaching the, 
England forwards. He's working with Eddie. And we had the opportunity and the privilege to, to talk to Matt Proudfoot about what Eddie's management style is like. Looking to find all of this, you just stumble across these phenomenal people like yourselves. You know, it's the way that you've impacted the, the way I look at, at a team has been absolutely great. Andre, I've got, I've got two quick ones for you here, and then JP's got a walk-off question that we'll end with here. Um, we were talking, the three of us, a little bit before we started recording about um, kind of your thinking on theming and looking for a theme for your current program. And I think it's always fascinating, you know, when we talk to higher-level coaches, what is the thing right now that you're really trying to keep growing in? I mean, you obviously have a growth mindset, and you want to keep developing new and better ways. What's what's challenging you right now in terms of your growth as a as a coach? Within within my coaching at the moment, I think I can do more for the coaches that I work with, and I'd like to be more intentional with developing myself to put my because I've I've got an opportunity to to better other people, not just players but coaches as well. So, and I'd like to be, you know, when coaches move on from this system you want them to go into another system carrying certain value that they've that they've taken from the system so that's that's something that i'd i'd like to work on more i appreciate you sharing that and i'm, I'm going to get you out of here with me on this one as you look back over your coaching experience what is the thing that is most satisfying for you as a coach it's it's, it's probably the 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 honest feedback from players not not when you're winning seasons, but when you when you get players, when you're checking in on them, and they go, they they just you can hear the sincerity with which they say that they've 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 never enjoyed a season as much as they did this one. That players walk off the training field knowing that this, looking forward to the next session, and this being the best part of their day. So. And I know it's easy. That, that's what we want to do. Um, also, a lesson learned when I coached in that first year, players would come to training and they'd be complete zombies. And I'd say to the assistant coach, like, this is unacceptable. This is, they're going on the line. We're going to run. And, and he just said to me, listen, one thing you need to understand is that these guys, some of these guys are, are studying very, trying to be actuaries and accountants and lawyers. They're staying up right through the night They've got a test the next afternoon or 12, 1 o'clock. Then they come to training, and you, you're you going to get nothing out of it. And the, the light just went on there. And I realized they've got, they've got a tough day. Even though they're, they're students, they, they're still looking after schoolwork. They're watching film. They're trying to get better in, in all departments of life. Now they come to a training session, and the coach is shouting. The coach is miserable. And that's when I realized this needs to be the best part of their day. So. When when that does happen, it's a uh, it's a great feeling because players players want to play in that system. I absolutely love that you shared that because I think there is so many people at all levels that are just kind of miserable doing their their job or in, in their career, and it's sad, you know. And I just you know I had the fortune of spending the day with the Phoenix Suns there recently, and uh, something that you know the head coach Monty Williams shared with me, she's like. Yeah, we want to win another NBA or win an NBA championship, but like 
we want to enjoy the experience regardless. Like we don't want to show up every day and this be miserable for me or my staff or the players here. Like we want to enjoy this wherever we go and however many games we win, we want to enjoy this. And so I'm going to ask you this last question because you've been with us so long and you're sitting in the sun there and you're roasting. (laughs) I feel so bad for you. Uh, Acorn's doing really well on top. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, But, uh, you know, this is kind of a bit of a fanboy question. You know, you, you, you won a rugby world cup and I'm just kind of curious, you know, what about that experience? Like, do you remember the most or do you hold on to the most? You know, like what was, what made that special for you? Leading up to the world cup, there was big doubt on my availability. I chronic hamstring uh, pain and, and problems. So I had to do a lot more, ensure that I'd, I'd be available to play and you know as as luck would have it or as the network would have it that I was in um, my sponsor at the time Adidas flew me over to Germany they had me see the top doctor there who's Bayern Munich's doctor and uh, Germany's doctor Dr. Müller Wolfer and I I was there for seven days six of the days I got treated I got injected and if it wasn't for that, I probably wouldn't have gone to the World Cup. And then I had to, I had the rehab work that I had to do. So the night that the trophy was in the middle of our circle, as a team, we worked really hard. And, and Jake White said in 2005, I think, uh, 2004, he said, listen, the only thing that's different from this circle to the one we're going to is that there's no cup in the middle. And those were his words. That team, we worked really hard to get to that. But personally, I had to fight a lot of obstacles to to make myself available and to get selected to play this. So it was a there was a lot of a lot of fulfillment in there, but also a lot of relief that you know that all of that came to came to something, and it was something great. I think that's really awesome that you you know reflect on the journey. You know, that's that's what made it really special. Um, also, I know Nate's having some back or hip problems, so maybe you can get him in with that doctor in Germany. <laughs> if you like if you like six injections at once in your back, Nate, that's the guy to go to. Well, I like walking in practice without pain, so uh, I might be interested maybe in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, this was awesome. I appreciate you coming on here. I don't know if you have any you know, anything you'd like just to kind of close with uh, as, as we wrap up our conversation? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't actually know how the podcast, uh, if you can see your listeners and stuff like that, but you guys are, are doing an amazing job and you're really consistent with the messages that you give. And I think that's, that's part of the reason people are finding success with, with the, the material that you guys are putting out there. So keep on going and... Uh, I'll be refreshing my podcast list every Sunday to see when you when you guys are done. All right, a huge thanks to Andre Petroius. It's been a pleasure to get to know him and for our relationship to grow these last few years. One thing uh, he mentioned today was the Captain's Council. He obviously gave a glowing endorsement, so I'd encourage you to learn more about this system so you can experience some of the same benefits. I've got an online course with resources all about the Captain's Council and how to be intentional in implementing it. The link to the course is in the details of this episode, as well as there's a link at tocculture.com. 
you can save 20% by using the coupon code coaching culture. So be sure to check that out. Doesn't just help you develop leaders. It helps you solve problems within your team's culture. Thanks for listening in to the coaching culture podcast.